Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 50th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots! Happy Thursday! We are one day away from the weekend. And how excited are we today? It's the 50th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots, the big 5-0. And I have a great guest for you. We have Emily Mortimer on the show. I know her as Mackenzie McHale from the newsroom. That's where her and I became friends. I don't know if she knows this yet, but, but she became near and dear to my heart. She is promoting her new film, 10,000 Saints, with Ethan Hawke. On the second half of the show, I want to talk to you about the next time we see Blade. Should it be in a film or a Netflix series? But first, we have a special contest going on at Monkeys Fighting Robots. We have teamed up with SuperheroStuff.com to give you a trip for two to New York Comic Con. How awesome is that? It includes convention tickets, airfare, hotel, and some spending cash. All you have to do is go to our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com, and click on the green blinking banner that says, Win a Trip to New York Comic Con, and register. You go to the website, click on the banner, pop in your digits, give them the information, hit register, bam, you're off to New York Comic Con. Good luck, guys. Did you ever watch the newsroom when it was on? It was an amazing show. It was a fictional drama, but it made the viewers question political and moral issues. When I worked at the radio station, I used to get so upset when we had to spin the news to either the owner or the sponsor's agenda. I wanted to go all Will McAvoy on the owners, but it never happened. But maybe it did, because I'm in my garage right now at this amazing podcast studio, the Monkey Sweating Robot Studio, and I'm doing this now because I don't have to bend to the wheel of ownership all right, so we're, we're, off, we're off topic here. Emily Mortimer played Will's producer in Love Interest. Emily went to Oxford, so I got to believe that she's the smartest person to ever be on this show. She's been on 30 Rock as Alec Baldwin's love interest, Phoebe. You've seen her in Shutter Island, Cars 2, and Hugo. Emily is currently filming the second season of Doll and M, coming out this September on HBO. Emily Mortimer is here today to talk about her latest film, 10,000 Saints. It comes out this Friday on Video On Demand or in theaters. It stars Ethan Hawke, Asa Butterfield, Emil Hirsch. The film is set in the 1980s, and there are major punk rock overtones. Emily, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. 
My pleasure. Your film, 10,000 Saints, comes out this Friday. What attracted you to the project? Um, I was really drawn to it because I was basically going to get a chance to play someone of my own parents' generation. I mean, you know, the uh, I was a teenager at the same time as the teenagers in the movie um, are teenagers. So I was a teenager in the 80s, and my mother and father were products of the 60s and um, typical examples of kind of parents of the 80s, which were, you know, they'd done every drug and they'd behaved badly and um, been the kind of first rebellious generation. And so here were we being brought up by these by these um, crazy types in the 80s. And, and, and we were left with the kind of, confusing problem as to how to rebel against parents who'd already who'd done everything there was um, to rebel already themselves. Um, anyway, so it was interesting getting to play parent, a parent of my own parents' um, generation and, and just have a look at, at the ways in which parenting was different then than it is now. This is the second time you've worked with Asa Butterfield. How was his performance? He's an incredible actor. He's just sort of, you take one look at him on the screen and those blue eyes, it's just like he kind of is cinema in a way. Um, he's got the most exquisite face, um, which is just made for movies. And he's also the sweetest, gentlest soul. And I think his his soulfulness really translates in, in all the roles that he plays. Um, and, and once again, in, in this movie, you know, very intensely. He's, he's a beautiful actor and a lovely guy. Do you think Asa will have a tough time transitioning from a child actor to adult star? I don't think so. I think he's, he's transitioned in his own life in a very elegant way into being a young adult um, um, just as Haley Steinfeld has, they're both incredibly kind of composed um, and impressive people. And they were already, before they were young adults, they were kind of, they were old souls, both of them. You know, they were, they were both, they, you know, they were, they were children, but with, but with sort of old, wise souls, I think. And so I don't think the transition is going to be that difficult for them. You've worked under some amazing directors in your time. What did Sherry Springer Berman bring to the table? Well, I, I I found it great and interesting working with a married couple, Sherry and Bob. Um, uh, you know, her husband also helps. He's the editor, her editor, but he also helps direct on the set. And um, that was kind of cool and wonderful. I had admired their movie American Spender that they made their first film um, for many years and so I was psyched to get a chance to finally work with them um, and yeah I just think there's something very unpretentious um, and uh, easygoing about um, Sherry as a director and I think she was the perfect person to tell this story because um she was a child of the 80s herself or a teenager in the 80s, and she, so she has an insight into that period and that period in New York is where she grew up um, and a kind of nostalgia for the New York City of that time. Um, so I think it's an authentic voice that's telling the story um, and one that's compassionate and unpretentious and, and cool.
Talk to me about your HBO show, Doll and M. Season two will be out in September. What's it like working with your best friend, Dolly Wells? Um, it's awesome working with my best friend, Dolly Wells. I, I've had the, uh, you know, we both, I think, had the time of our lives doing this show, and it could have been disastrous, um, obviously. Uh, but it turns out we, we do really like each other. <laughs> we discovered that we, even, even putting our friendship um, through all the kind of hurdles of, of, of writing and producing a television show together and starring in it together hasn't stinted our, our friendship and our love for each other. And actually, it was amazing getting to see this person who I really love and respect and admire on a film, on a, on a, on a set, um, and to see her in a working environment and to be so impressed by her and how how devoted she is and, and exacting that she is as a working woman, because I've seen all other sides of her, but I've never been, you know, had that insight into into her. So I learned more about her from being around her all the time, and I, I, I love her more than ever, which is sort of weird, but true. Did you and Dolly during the writing process argue over who was going to date Ewan McGregor in season two? No, no, because she... Um, Although we, I did get a little bit jealous, I have to say, on the set when she was making out with Ewan McGregor endlessly in the in the toilet, um, uh, I suddenly thought, God, this is so unfair, you know, that that she gets that uh, plum role. But um, you know, I'm playing the married one in the in the um, in the show, so it would have been an altogether different tale if it had been me snogging Ewan McGregor in the in the loo. So. Um, I guess it was a foregone conclusion that that was who it was going to be. Um, but I, I got to snog you in another movie years ago um, called Young Adam, so I guess it was it was fair enough that she she got a bit of um, she got a bit of you in herself. <laughs> Newsroom lasted three seasons. Do you have any regrets um, about the show finishing? Yes. Uh, or about uh, what, what regrets about what? In general, about newsroom, like, is there any is there any story that you wanted to tell, or did you feel like you were cut off, or do you feel like it was a perfect three seasons and you're done and you're ready to move on? I feel pretty much the latter. That I I think it was, I think it's, you know, always better to leave people wanting more. I think that um, it wasn't something that Aaron um, Sorkin, who who was our genius writer and creator felt, you know, I think it was an incredibly exacting job for him. Um, and he just, you know, felt that it wasn't something that he could continue giving 100% to after the three years. And I think that it would have been weird to have carried on without him, um, without him kind of at the helm of every moment and every beat of that show was really from him you know he he's the mastermind of all of it and every line of dialogue that we said was his so i think if it had gone on in a kind of diluted way without him at the helm it wouldn't have been quite its its own self it would have been a different thing um and and in a way um you know three years was great it was it was it was a great experience um and um, a sort of incredibly challenging one. Um, and my early onset 
Alzheimer's. <laughs> I don't know would have allowed me to remember any more lines. I mean, I was living in total fear of um, of of forgetting my lines every second of every day, and I would walk from my trailer to the studio with my head held very firmly kind of high and terrified of moving it to either one side or the other in case the words would sort of fall out of my ears somehow before I got to the um, studio from my trailer. So I, I don't know that my, my limited brain capacity could have, could have endured any more uh, seasons of the newsroom. Emily, thank you for your time, and best of luck with 10,000 Saints in the second season of Doll of an M. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. And that was Emily Mortimer, and her latest film, 10,000 Saints, will be in theaters this Friday. Scanning the news like we do for monkeysfightingrobots.com. There's Wesley Snipes, and then there's Blade, and there's been some conversations about Wesley Snipes and Blade and where we go from here. During San Diego Comic-Con, Comic Book Resources spoke with Wesley Snipes about if he was going to return to his Blade roots or if Marvel had talked to him about that. Snipes had this to say, Well, we've had some discussions. We've had, had very positive and favorable discussions about the Blade character and other things they have in mind. Okay, that sounds kind of interesting. We'll see where it, where it goes. For the Blade fans, if we never reprise Blade, well, that doesn't sound good, I have another character that will stand toe-to-toe with Blade any day. It's not done yet. Okay. That can go one or two ways. Either Wesley Snipes is working on something bigger than Blade that's outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know who he'd, who he'd be in the DC Universe. Is he going to bring back Spawn? No, he's too old for Spawn. That would be awesome. I would love to see a Spawn, Spawn film come back. But Blade, where where is Marvel going to go with that? So this, these conversations about Blade and Wesley Snipe, it made me reach out to the internet and, and ask people, you know, do you want to see a fourth film or a Netflix series? Because the Blade films, the first one came out in 1998. It grossed a worldwide grossing of $131 million, which is nothing really today, but it was profitable. And they made a second one and they made a third one and they were all profitable. As bad as the third one was, it still made $70 million. And I do believe that the first Blade film paved the way for all the comic book movie culture that we're in right now. If Blade just bombed, I don't think we his studios would in such a rush to make other films. But it was successful. And so then you got your X-Men movies and you got your Fantastic Movies and Spider-Man movies and and things kind of rolled and went out from there and now you got Marvel and DC making these huge epic movies and everything like that. But I do believe that Blade paved that second way. You had the Batman movies, but then you had Batman and Robin and that kind of closed the door and everything. But then Blade came out. It's like, oh, we'll have a darker hero. And people were kind of excited about it. Some people didn't even realize that it was a comic book movie. But it did start the fire. Now, we didn't start the fire, but Blade kind of kept the kindlings going and fanned the flames and got it burning up so that we could have the MCU that we have today. 
So I went on Twitter and I was like, hey, do you want to see a Netflix series or do you want to see a fourth film? And Bruce Wayne, 5150 on Twitter, he'd like to see somebody else play Blade. He must be a lot younger than me because I can't imagine anybody else playing Blade. Chris at Carry On Hawkeye, he wants to see a Blade film and he doesn't want to see a series at all. At Mind underscore Arson, Mind on Fire or Mind Starting Fire. I don't know. I worry about these Twitter handles these days. He wants to see a Netflix series that sets up the monsters of Marvel and then leads into a movie co-starring Ghost Rider. I, I read Ghost Rider. I still don't understand what Ghost Rider does. I even saw the Nick Cage movies. He turns into this monster and he vengeance and he beats people down. I, how do you have a conversation with Ghost Rider? You really don't. He's kind of a silent type. So I don't know if Ghost Rider could ever actually carry a movie. You need to have that, that internal person. And that's when Nick Cage made that movie amazing, as bad as they were. But Nick Cage being Ghost Rider, just going for the transformation. All right, so we're going off a, on a Ghost Rider tangent. But it, it would be interesting to see who they would start teaming, who would they start building up? The Midnight Suns, like who would they start building up around Blade? Or does Blade come in with another character like Daredevil or this, or, you know, Daredevil, Punisher, Morbius? You know, there's a lot of different darker characters that they could bring into the universe. And we bounce over to Facebook. And this is where it gets interesting. I didn't even realize that there's people that have never seen the Blade films before. And you're in a you're in a superhero forum and you've never seen the Blade films. And this is this is person twelve. I mean, I don't, I don't get that. Maurice, you know, he he wasn't a big fan of the uh, the Spike TV series because he doesn't want to see he's still emotionally scarred from there so he doesn't want to see a, a Blade series on TV and he wants a Netflix series Ross wants a Netflix series possibly crossover with Daredevil and Punisher they're all going to cross over that's just how it's, they're getting billed today uh, DA he wants a Netflix series they, there's been when they're talking about these they're like oh Netflix will let you be darker I don't know if you guys have seen the Blade film they there's F, F this, F that, and there's cursing left and right. I don't know if they can make that. I see, that's where the Disney-esque influence. This is pre-Disney with the Blade movies. So I don't know if, what they're going to do with that. Uh, another another Blade Ghost Rider team up. Legion of Monsters. Aaron wants to see a Netflix series. Marciano wants to see a Netflix series. Dave wants to see a movie. Aaron's kind of upset about Sticky Fingers' Blade as well. Eric wants to see a fourth film that leads into a TV series. Nathan wants to see a movie. Ruth wants to see a Netflix series. That way they could go more dark. Again, the films are really dark. And I'm kind of at like a toss-up. I really enjoyed the Wesley Snipes films. The third film kind of falls off, but most third films fall off. That's just how it works. It's, it's really tough. A TV series... There's so much else going on, a lot of vampire stuff, and trying to see what you would do in that TV series. And, and this is where the falter of the movie works as well, is you're always creating a bigger vampire for Blade to kill. In the first one, it's like, okay, this is the vampire. Then, oh, they found a mutant vampire. This is the and then they found, oh, the original Dracula. Then that's what they got to kill there. So I don't know how you step up the game in the film, and then what is that underlying theme in 
the TV show. And I like being in the TV show mode because you can actually pull in other villains from other series. And, you know, you could have like human villains where they're trying to get rid of the vampires or Blade could just fight somebody that has nothing tied to the vampire world. He could just, it could just give you, Blade could be the vampire with the special powers. And then there's the villain who's XYZ that you bring in to but it's tough. I I don't know where you, I don't know where you go with the series. I would I definitely can't envision anybody else playing Blade. Wesley Snipes embody the character so well to where if they do make a film or if they do make a series, he has to be the guy. And if they figure out some way of like spinning it off after there. But I, I think you should incorporate those movies. Marvel should figure out how to incorporate those movies into the MCU. And, and just build off of them. There's no need to have another origin. And we're just, we're, we don't need an origin of Blade. He's a vampire. He's a half vampire. He's a daywalker. We all, everybody knows what, what this guy is and that he's badass. I mean, that's really, he can, he's a vampire who can be out during the day and he has to be a badass MFer. You know, that, that's the two things. You don't need an origin. You just need to be badass MFers. If you would like to chime in on this conversation, Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on the website. Go to monkeysfightingrobots.com. Leave us a comment. Go to Twitter. And let us know if you would like to see a Blade film or a Blade Netflix series. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. Also, if you have a chance, rate our show on iTunes. If you have an Android device, listen to the show on Stitcher. There's also this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the world, plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 50th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. I'm going to cry. So special thanks to Emily Mortimer for calling the Monkeys Fighting Robots hotline. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The staff at Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the internet, Thank you for listening to this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.